Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Welcome back, everybody. Bob Stoffer in studio along with Brendan Escott. Uh, Thursday, Edmonton Oilers Assistant General Manager Keith Gretzky uh, will join us in studio for an hour Uh in the next couple of weeks, uh, we'll have Jerry Johansson on from the Sports Corporation in studio for an hour as uh, we go a little bit longer format. On today's show, Frank Saravalli uh, for the Horses and Horse Racing Alberta just had uh, Joe Haggerty, Hacks with Hags, and uh, we're looking for the top uh, Boston Bruins players of all time. Hacksaw says, Bob, I'd go Orr, Bergeron, and Bork. Brendan, we did not mention Ray Bork. I mentioned Johnny Busick. It's an Edmonton thing. Obviously, Bork, Bork for me would be second behind Orr, and then it would be either Bergeron or uh, Johnny Busick. All right. Uh, one of the... Uh, there's a, there's a couple writers, and I'll say they're younger because they're in their 30s, uh, maybe late 20s, but there's a couple guys out there that had caught my eye with The Athletic. One is uh, Murata Tesh, who writes in Winnipeg. And uh, there's another writer. We've referenced his work before, even though I've butchered his name on multiple occasions. Dom Lucician uh, is with The Athletic. He uh, writes uh, a lot of analytic pieces that get people sort of talking, which is sort of part of what writing's about. And he is our Oilers Now headliner for Wilhawk Beef Jerky. It's the best you've ever tasted. Search for Wilhawk, W-I-L-H-A-U-K today. And he joins us on the River Creek Resort Casino Hotline. Dom, it's Bob. How you doing? Not too bad. How are you today? Good. How do I do on the pronunciation? Uh, much better than earlier today when you practice, uh, but still uh, just just a tiny bit off. All right. So what do you what do you? Because here's the thing: I have guys that introduce me as Stouffer all the time on other shows, and it's Stoffer. So what do you what do you roll with? What's what's the perfect pronunciation for you? Loose Chishin. All right. How about we go with the, Lou? Chishin. There we go. Loose Chishin. There we go. Uh, there you go. You know what was really confusing was Elias Patterson and Peterson, because he had told some people that it was actually Peterson, and then, oh. of course, in Vancouver, it was Patterson. I'm like, well, you got to go with what the broadcasters go with for that team. Mm-hmm. Some of the work that you do is, is is comparative analysis between players, and it has an analytic space to it. Part of the reason why we got you on is you wrote a piece on basically who you thought improved their teams the most in the offseason. And look, this is an Edmonton-centric show. What did you say about the Edmonton Oilers, Dom? Well, I, I really like the addition of Connor Brown. I think he's a hard-working player who's sort of a Swiss Army type that can play in any role anywhere in the lineup, and I think he can fit anywhere in Edmonton's top nine, or that's next to McDavid, next to Dreisaitl, or somewhere on the third line. And the amount they pay for him obviously is not much uh, with the bonuses and whatnot, but I, I love the addition. I think he should be... A pretty sizable improvement over Yamamoto, who sort of, I guess, fell out of favor last year. And I think the other thing is that although Costin was a fan favorite last year and scored a lot, I'm not sure he can continue the scoring aspect going forward. And every other part of his game, I think, lacks a bit. And I don't think the – I think the Oilers maybe got a little better by addition – by subtraction in that vein, um, I think they can find another cost and type for cheap. 
Hmm. It's interesting, right? I mean, they did get Costin base, and, and people need to remember this. Clean Costin was waived through the league, uh, and then as was Dmitry Samarukov, and then Doug Armstrong and Ken Holland Dom orchestrated that deal, and that's with both players being down in the minors, and that was part of the reason why they did it, so that they didn't need to keep them on their active NHL rosters. And then Costin, he went on a heater. And is that something that you have to, like, I mean, there's no other way to say it. He shot the lights out early. As no, Is that something that you have to be aware of? And I think back to the David Clarkson contract here, he scored 30 with New Jersey. Yeah, definitely. And I think teams are definitely getting much smarter with that. And the Oilers moving on from him is one example of that, where I think paying for something that is unlikely to happen again is, sort of fool's gambit and the Oilers I think a previous regime might have made that mistake and I think it's a good thing that the Oilers didn't didn't do that for Costin this time around. So you would not have uh, gone two million bucks on a two year deal for Costin which Detroit ultimately ended up signing him for? I think it's a little much. Uh, for me I think you want to spend more money on I guess players who can really move the needle in the top six or the top four and sort of try to pinch pennies a bit in the bottom six and with Costin I I was impressed by what he did last year I just I don't know if I would have given him exactly that much how would you uh Derek Ryan uh Ryan McLeod and Warren Fogle uh and they ended up with an even goal share but they had about a 66 percent uh, expected goal share in the playoff series against Vegas. That line performed well. When you see a guy like Derek Ryan, who you know double-digit goals, but isn't overly physical, isn't fast, certainly doesn't fight. He's never had an NHL career fight. Is it is it harder to gauge players like that, or is it actually easier because the puck seems to be in the right spots on the ice? to evaluate it from an analytical perspective. How do you sort of balance, uh, you know, the juxtaposition between a guy like Costin who would step up and fight for his teammates and a guy like Ryan who has the puck, basically, for lack of a better term, the needle moved in the right direction when he's on the ice? Yeah, I think with Costin, his game is obviously a bit more in your face and more noticeable. With Ryan, it's a very subtle thing because the thing he really excels at is suppressing chances and suppressing goals and that's not something that's going to be as easy to pick off or determine but at the end of the day I think with him the results do speak for themselves and I think it was last year maybe last year and the year before where whenever he was on the ice the Oilers did well and that was a big thing that was missing from the team early on in McDavid and Dreisaitl's I guess and then in the beginning of their era they didn't have a bottom six that could win their matchups and with Ryan they're starting to get that I don't know how much longer they can considering he's getting up there in age right. but they've, they've had that with him over the past couple of years yeah uh, the Oilers uh, last season were plus 10 plus, I think they ended up plus 12 overall but they were at least plus 10 in goal differential 5 on 5 one one of McDavid or Dreisaitl wasn't on the ice this was after uh, the previous four seasons you know basically being the minus mm-hmm. 20s so there's an illustration yeah. of that alright so you did a uh, in terms of the teams that improved themselves the most, uh, you said the Oilers did improve. Who were some of the other teams that you thought have a better team right now based on the models that you've used than uh, they finished up with at the end of the season? I think uh, so. my top three was Dallas, Detroit, Pittsburgh. Dallas might not be an obvious one, but I, I really just think 
taking out Luke Glendening's absence of offense, absence of offense is a really big deal that goes a bit unnoticed. He had the lowest point rate at five on five in I think like seven years, something like that. And as good as he can be on defense, you just you can't have someone doing absolutely nothing on offense the other way. Um, and I think the other thing is going from Max Domi to Matthew Shane is a pretty sizable upgrade in terms of offensive ability that I think makes Dallas' top nine one of the one of the deepest and best in the West. With Detroit, I think that one's an obvious one because they added like 17 players, headlined by Debrinkit, who is probably the best winger available, and they got rid of some of some of their weaker players in the bottom of their lineup, and I think they'll be an improved team. It'll just be a matter of whether they, they have that top end to to make it the playoffs. And with Pittsburgh, I, I don't think anything they did was flashy, but there were, I think, clear upgrades across the board. Ryan Graves, I don't love his contract, but I think he's a pretty decent top four defenseman and should be a huge improvement over Dumoulin, who looked kind of washed in that role last year. Uh, same with Riley Smith over Jason Zucker. I think that gives a bit more speed to their, their top six. Which teams are worse? Well, that one is pretty obvious today with uh, Patrice Bergeron retiring. I think yep. Boston... They were the best regular season team last year. They lost their top two centers. They lost Taylor Hall. They're losing Orlov. They're choosing Hathaway, who they got the deadline. And they they just really didn't replace them with anyone worthwhile. I mean, Van Riemsdyk, Shanker, Geeky are probably fine depth players. They're just they're not replacing like clear cut top six players. I think it's the same thing with the least. I don't mind the direction they went where they're trying to get more offense out of some players, but they, I think, are sacrificing a lot in terms of defense where John Klingerberg was awful last year and Domi doesn't have the doesn't have the track record of being a good defensive forward in the same way Ryan O'Reilly was last year. I like the, like, I'll say this, Brad Trey Living, I know how hard he works. I think Calgary, you take a look at their farm team the last couple of years, they've, they really emphasize competitive players. Uh, yeah. The Leafs top, I think you would agree with me, or maybe you wouldn't, Dom, but uh, no one can debate whether or not Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisettle are dug in based on their performance yeah. the last couple of years. Uh, I don't know if specifically Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner have gotten quite to that level that McDavid and Drysdale have gotten come playoff time. But yeah. the one thing Tree did is he changed the complexion and the makeup of the team by adding players with bite like Bertuzzi and Domi and Ryan Reeves, who I'm sure, you know, there's a debate, do you need guys like that anymore in the game? Uh, yeah. So is, is that part of your quandary when looking at Toronto? You recognize what Trey Levin was type, uh, trying to do, but do you think the game's just totally moved away from that? I we'll see we'll see how much Reeves actually plays, but I I do like the additions of Bertuzzi and Domi because I think with the Leafs a lot of the emphasis was too much on those top guys to score. But the other thing with Matthews and Marner is they are two elite defensive forwards, and you find the playoffs that they don't break games open offensively the way McDavid and Drysdale have in the playoffs, and I think part of that is they're too focused on the shutdown element trying to win games 2-1 rather than right. just doing what's best and trying to win and having guys like Bertuzzi and Domi who maybe aren't as good defensively as some of the other depth pieces Leafs have 
I think it gives some offensive creativity in the middle six that should maybe alleviate uh, the need for the top four to do all of the scoring while also being these defensive forces for the team. Dom, uh, you're, you've got a, the piece today that you put out was the best contracts out there. You said McDavid got an honorable mention. Who did you have with the top three contracts and was part of it having to do with how much term is left in the length of the deals? Yeah, so if you look at like the past years, McDavid has always been on it and that was despite being the, the highest paid player in the league. He has three years left, and he is probably still one of the most underpaid players in the league. I think he's worthy of the max deal and more, and it's just the fact that there's only three years left, and it's hard to compete with Kachuk, Hughes, and McCarr, who have a bit more time left and are a bit more underpaid with in terms of what they're currently getting. Kachuk at 9.5 is... A steal for someone who's bordering on top five player, Makar at nine million, same idea, and Jack Hughes, I think, really benefits from being the youngest of the trio at 22. You expect him to continue improving, and the fact he only makes eight million for seven years is just going to be talked about in the same way. I think McKinnon, McKinnon's deal was talked about for the time when he was making six million for eight years or whatever it was. Right, yeah. Uh, tomorrow, uh, what's coming out in the Athletic from you tomorrow? Tomorrow, it is a, it's an opposite of the best contracts. It's a 10 worst contracts, and I, I don't think the listeners will be surprised that there is one Euler on that list. He's not the highest on that list, but he definitely is, uh, is, on, is within the top 10, or bottom 10, I should say. And our, obviously, it's Darnell Nurse. Um, is it difficult for players of that ilk to, to live up to that price point on a contract if they're not on the power play if they're a defenseman? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, there are $9 million is just a lot of money for a defenseman. Uh, Nurse obviously got paid in the summer that all these defensemen started making that money, but if you look at the value that the top defensemen bring and sort of compare it to how much salary a win is worth, all of those things, a $9 million defenseman is someone who is an elite number one, probably bordering around top 15, top 10, and it is very rare for a defenseman to be at that level without getting value on that top power play. I think the exceptions to the rule over the last few years were Miro Heiskanen and Charlie McAvoy, and obviously they have earn that role now and they're getting that top power play time but that's pushed them from the 10 top 10 range to the top five range where they are among the best defensemen in the world but even before that i think they were able to drive play at five on five in such an incredible way that they were still able to be worth nine million without getting that power play value and nurse i think took a a big step last year before the playoffs and was looking like a number one defenseman. It's just that he needs to be an above average elite guy. And I think it'll take a bit of a bit more for him to, to get that range. It's not impossible for him to be worth 9 million for the next seven years. It's just, he's, he's not there yet. And there is 
bit of, bit of money left on the table by Edmonton paying him that much for, for that long. You know, Dom, what's interesting, uh, and I know I put this tweet out about a month ago, uh, and I looked it up, five on five only in the last three seasons, Darnell Nurse is third in goals by defenseman. That's five on mm-hmm. five only. Uh, yeah. And then in terms of points, he's 16th in the league in terms of points, five on five. Um, and I have a theory that if you're not on the power play, that's hard to do. Now, he has the argument the other way is Bobby's on a team with Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisettle. So do, do five on five numbers get driven because of those guys? I'd say the numbers would suggest they probably do. But it is interesting that he's third in goals amongst defensemen over the last three years, five on five, which would, you know, might sort of at least be an argument that he's decent that way. All right. Uh, great stuff, Dom. Look, we appreciate it. We look forward to reading your piece tomorrow. Thank you for uh, giving us some insight on this and continued success with The Athletic. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. That is Dom Lushishin. Joined us uh, <laughs> on orders now. Uh, yeah. Brendan, what do you think? Interesting stuff, eh? He puts a lot of work into it. A lot of work. Yeah, he sure does. I, I felt like there might have been a bias against the Oilers, if I'm being perfectly honest really? in the first place, but maybe Dom's coming around here. I, yeah, I don't... Yeah, well, hey, they could win next year. Mm-hmm. Edmonton. They could win. Uh, 151, you know what? We're going to marry the breaks. Is that cool? We're just going to get roll, roll right into it? Is that? Or what do you want me to do here? Do you want me to take a timeout? Take a timeout. We're going to take a timeout. This is Oilers now. Wow, you pulled the you pulled a live version right from Woodstock '99 because I remember his preamble. We come down from the Canadas. Tragically hip, Woodstock '99, Royal Pizza, Pizza Past, and so much more. Everything's real at Royal. It's old school. Big boy pizza, no question about it. And it's been around for 50-plus years. Edmonton owned and operated. You can get a free 2-liter Coke with a purchase of $35 or more online at Royal Pizza on the Royal Pizza app or at royalpizza.ca with a staffer recommendations Mediterranean chicken. Brendan likes the Texan. Reed Wilkins, uh, he is a fan of meat lovers. We go to List Day in Oilers history for New West Travel, serving travelers since 1979. Book your vacation today at newwesttravel.com. A reminder, we've got an upcoming trip to Nashville, October 17th, right at the start of the Oilers season. On the October 17th, that early? Yeah, I think it is actually that early. Uh, it's going to be a kicker. It's going to be a great time. We had 75 people at our Nashville trip a couple years ago. Uh, we're going to go back to 2006 and one of my favorite players uh, from the Edmonton Oilers. Here's Brendan Escott. Yeah, they re-signed 2001's 13th overall pick, Alish Hemsky, to a six-year, $24.6 million contract extension, just coming off a career-best 77-point season and an Olympic bronze medal with the Czech Republic. He played seven more seasons in Edmonton before being shipped to Ottawa in 2014. Great pick by Kevin Prendergast on the Oilers staff. I was supposed to go to that draft. Uh, I was in Ken Nichols' plane. And they sent us back. Uh, we were in the Piper, and we weren't allowed to fly uh, much past Red Deer and uh, ended up uh, back. Uh, we watched it at Moe's Sports Parlor when the Oilers ended up taking uh, a draft. was in Calgary that year. Alish Hemsky, 13th overall back in 2001. Loved Hammer. A lot of skill. Not all the media liked him. Uh, but you know what? The Oilers didn't exactly have the most skill uh, at the time. They had a lot of heart, but he was a guy that could uh, make some plays and scored two huge goals for the Oilers. Game 6 
1996 against Detroit back in 2006. This day in order's history for New West travel. Reed Wilkins has inside sports night. What's he got shaking? Fluid from show by the looks of it. Fluid show. Fluid for, show. Fluid show for Reed Wilkins tomorrow. Uh, a guy who's got a chance to be on the Oilers roster, Lane Peterson, uh, will join us. And the president and chief revenue officer of the Oilers Entertainment Group, Stu McDonald, uh, will talk about power packs. And we'll talk about the show moving from noon to two to five to seven. Coming up on today's, tomorrow's edition of Oilers Now. Up next, the global news weather traffic update with Randy Kilburn, followed by Rob Breckenridge from two to three, then Chelsea on Chet from three to six. So long, everybody, from Oilers Now. Oh, cool. Let me stand